Good morning again, Grace Church. I uh, bring you greetings, as I did last week, from your brothers and sisters in Christ in at least one part of Brooklyn, uh, where I'm a pastor. And uh, just to remind you, I know some of you may be visiting, some of you just may not know, we've never lined up, but uh, I went to seminary with your uh, founding pastor uh, almost 10 years ago, and so I've been coming out here to do pulpit supply for almost nine years, actually. Uh, for the first five years or so, it was always in January, which is great. I love it here any time of the year, honestly. Uh, and then the last few years, it's been in the summer, which is even better. So um, it's been great. So thank you for your hospitality, your generosity, and uh, your, you made it available for my family to take a week here together after a busy summer and before a very busy fall. Um, we're going to have four kids, and they're going to be going to three different schools, and two are commuting different directions for the first time all over the city. So it's going to be crazy. Um, you can pray for us in that. And also, um, for those who do keep up with our church, I planted Resurrection Clinton Hill in Brooklyn about three and a half years ago. I mentioned this last week, but the big news we have now is we're still too small to actually even afford me. We're still a mission church. Um, but we raised some money. We're still raising money. We hired. Uh, we've been waiting because we're in a neighborhood that has a lot of social justice and racial, racial reconciliation needs. Uh, we've been waiting for this, and we finally had the right candidate. So we've been working, and we raised enough money to get started and hire uh, a, a colleague of mine, a great godly man who's actually 40 with a family. He's not fresh out of seminary or anything. He's been in New York for a while, uh, born and raised in the Bronx. Uh, his name is Omari. He's an uh, African-American brother in Christ and now now my uh, assistant pastor. So pray for us in that because we, we, he really moves this next weekend. We're really just getting started, and I'm excited to see what God will do through our church, through his ministry and presence. So pray for us in that and for Brooklyn. Uh, I want to remind you just before we read our text, uh, I, be, anytime I preach here a couple weeks in a row, I think it's fun to do like a mini series. So um, I don't ever listen to my ser- series sermons again. I don't really enjoy my sermons at all. Uh, but if you, really, I'm done with them after I, I'm done with them sometimes before I preach them, but especially afterwards. But if you want to go back and listen to the one from last week, these are c- kind of companion series. And I argue that sometimes what the Bible does and sometimes what, just what truth in general does is it's better to, when two things seem to be contradictory, sometimes it's better than just trying to, to take them, their force away and sort of mash them up and balance them out so that you kind of get somewhere in the middle. Sometimes it's better just to say both things and let them both be true and live in the tension of that. And so we asked the question last week, I ask it again, I started, if your friends were to ask you or if you are here and you're investigating and you want to know the question, what's the essence of what it means to sort of have faith in Christianity or just to be a person of faith? What, what does it mean? Like, how does it, what does that mean for me? What do I supposed to do to have faith? Uh, and I think the Bible gives sort of two answers that seem to be contradictory. And the one we explored last week is that um, the word I used was faith looks like me telling you to relax. Like, just Relax. Quit trying. Stop. You know, we went on. So I spent a whole sermon. I won't give it to you again. You can go listen to it. Uh, you see this a little bit, and this was the passage we used last week. Uh, not our passage today, but um, actually I just lost the page. But uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. And so we really dwelt in that last that last week about how much we are called to just quit trying, quit doing, quit trying to work anything and to just rest, to relax. But then the next verse is for, because we are God's workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's something about faith that is actually active and that is working, not just relaxing and resting. And so that's what we want to explore today. And I think uh, the text I've chosen is one of the easiest places to sort of get into what it means to be a person of faith. When you're trying to have active faith, you're trying to see your faith at work in the world, what does it look like? Uh, The first psalm, this hymn book of the ancient church and the modern church, sort of opens up the life of faith to us in Psalm 1. So I'll read it and then we'll dig in. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Your church and your spirit have attested that this is actually your word. Like This is you speaking still. And when Christians come together, especially to hear you, uh, hear you speak to us again, uh, you show up and you speak and you're living and you're active. And so I pray, whether we believe that or not this morning or how, regardless of how strongly we believe that, I pray that you would give each person here just the word from you that they need to hear this morning for life and for health and for salvation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, it's fun to be out here and around a, a lot, a, all the nature. It's especially fun to see the kind of different trees and the way all the birds were resting in the trees this week. I saw a hummingbird this morning and those little yellow, you probably, some of you bird people know what this is like, the little yellow and black birds watching those fly. Um, even saw some bats this week. It reminded me like trees have been a big part of my life, especially my childhood. When I was little, my grandpa had this tree called the umbrella tree, is what I call it. I have no idea what it's called. But basically, it was these giant slick leaves about a, a, a foot wide. And they were sort of impenetrable. But if you went inside, it was empty almost, just, just the long branches. And you could climb up in it and kind of feel like you're coming through the top of a rainforest and look out. Uh, and I think about all the time I, pe- I spent playing in trees as a kid out in nature. And one of the amazing things about trees, and you know this if you're a person that's into gardening, is that all of those trees start this big, right? They're seedlings. You know, an oak tree comes from an acorn. It's just amazing that with time and the right kind of uh, atmosphere, temperature, tending, all these things, these trees can grow that become big enough for human beings to rest and play and imagine in. And trees and, I mean, birds and other sort of creatures to nestle into. The question I have for you, this may seem like a jarring phrase, but this a seed grows into one of these kinds of trees. And this may seem strange. This is easier to do if all the children were still in the worship service. But I think, actually, if, you'll put yourself, if you're honest, uh, if you still have any will to live, then you probably have some answer to this question, which is this. What do you want to be when you grow up? Okay? 
I have friends, I have friends that are older than me in my congregation. They, they say that all the time. They're like, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And I'm like, well, welcome to the human race, right? What do you want to be when you grow up, as you continue to grow? Not just if you're a young person, if you are, you know, in your older years. What is it that you are hoping to grow into for the remainder of your years? And for a lot of us, this isn't true of everyone here, but for a lot of us, it's usually a kind of career answer or at least a vocational answer. If it's not one that's remunerated, it's, it's, a, it's a role that we want to play in the world. It's something we want to do, especially up in, the sort, in this sort of the East End or on Long Island, New York area. It's usually about something you want to do in the world, some ambition that we have. Whatever it may be, whether it's something different like a relationship um, or travel or something else, it's almost always the answer is we answer what we think will make us happy, right? That's just a simple truth of being human is that we pursue the things we think will make us happy. So what do you want to be when you grow up uh, into, from a seedling into a tree, if you will? And let me ask you a different question here. It's related, but it's a little different. If God were to say to you, let's say he actually showed up and spoke audibly to you, and he said... Ask whatever you wish, I will give it to you. Okay, just like one of those, the Aladdin cartoon, or one of these kinds of scenarios, right? If God actually said to you, ask whatever you wish, I will give it to you, what would you say? We'll give some examples as we go. Some of those things might have to do with what I asked you a minute ago, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want from the world, in life, in the world? What might make you happy? Those two answers might be related. And probably your answers, let me make sure you hear this, probably, probably your answers are good things. I'm not going to tell you they're not good things. It could be for someone's miraculous healing. Um, it could be for being able to provide for others better than you do. All of these things, the good things. But let me tell you, let me... I'll give you another story. This scenario actually presented itself. Okay? It presented itself to someone in the Old Testament, someone that was known as perhaps the most famous uh, person in the Old Testament, the sort of highlight of God's people in the Old Testament. They were most settled and most strong. He showed up to a young boy named Solomon. And uh, Solomon was told that he was going to have to be the king. And uh, take care of all of God's people. And he had this big task. This is what he was going to grow into. Is to be the king of all of God's people. And God shows up. And he says to you. uh, Or he says to Solomon. Ask whatever you want. I shall give it to you. Do you know what Solomon's answer was? I could think of a lot of things I would say. You probably thought of some yourself. Here's what he said. Oh, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Therefore, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people. Then it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or for riches 
or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you haven't asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Friends, what if we, presented with a similar scenario, were to answer not with what we want to attain in the world or we want to possess or we want to do or what we want more of that we've lost. But what if we answered that question, God saying, what shall I give you? What if we asked it instead with the kind of person we hope to be? You see the difference there? The kind of tree you hope to grow into. The kind of person, the kind of character, the kind of virtues that you want to be, not just the things you want to have or do in the world. And here's the interesting thing. Believe it or not, you have the opportunity to answer that question every single day. You have the opportunity to answer the question of what do you want from God every day? You have the opportunity to answer, as with Solomon did, that what I want from God more than anything else is wisdom in this world, to grow wise. And we're going to look at what that looks like here in a second. You have an answer to answer this question every day. But before we dig into the text, one other thing. Wisdom. You know, you see what it meant for Solomon. It actually meant not just, we think of wisdom, we think of a sage-like character who sort of dispenses pithy aphorisms, right? What do you think of when you think of wisdom? Uh, A few years ago, a New York Times writer asked readers to dispense wisdom in the form of seven words uh, uh, in in a haiku form, like two, three, two word sequence. He got the idea from Michael Pollan, uh, who you may know is the author of In Defense of Food. You guys heard of that book? Uh, In Defense of Food. I haven't read it because I don't think food needs any defending. Um, (laughs) Actually, I have read it. It's a good book. Anyway, the subtitle is this. The subtitle of the book is Eat Food, Not Too Much, Mostly Plants, which is actually what the whole book is about. And this aphorism struck the New York Times writer as as particularly pithy wisdom. So he went looking for more wisdom in this form, and here's some of the wisdom that he received uh, at the New York Times when he asked for it. Family wisdom. This was the haiku that won. Call mom. Let her talk. Don't argue. Financial wisdom. Earn 10 only spend nine, happy one. Relationship wisdom, accept him or dump him, relationship fixed. <laughs> Driving wisdom is drive safely, use, the turn, use turn signal, not finger. Um, and the winner was an eating wisdom thing. Eight plants, a big heap, still hungry. So those are all funny, mostly just to lighten the mood. But the Bible, although it does have haiku-like forms in the Proverbs, and there's wisdom like that, what the Bible is really talking about with wisdom is not just these kind of like, you know, fortune cookies style truths that you can get a bunch and sort of pastiche together and follow. Wisdom is this deep, intuitive, relational know-how. This know-how, it's just like, 
becomes a part of who you are. You just let, you know it like the back of your hand. You can't even really explain how you know to tell people to get around out here. You've just done it so many times. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. There is the, it is past the second thing. I don't know. I just do it. It's this know-how of walking with God through all the things that happen in life. It's this just know-how of walking with God in life. And the interesting thing here is the psalm tells us that this is what leads to happiness. I asked you earlier that you... You, want, you ask for the things that, or you aspire to be the things that you think make you happy. The psalm right away tells us that walking with God and wisdom is actually what leads to real happiness. That's what that word blessed means. Blessed is the man. It's, it's not just surfacey happy like an emotion that can come and go really quick. It's this deep, blessed contentment and happiness. And the interesting thing is that, again, in the New Testament, in James chapter 1, it says... If any of you lacks wisdom, you may be sitting here thinking, I don't even know what he's talking about. What is that deep, intuitive know-how? I hardly know what God looks like half the time or what he sounds like or, or what he would have me do. The New Testament says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, there's the promise. So if so, how? Let's look at our text. Let's see how. We might gain wisdom. We might put our faith to work. I want us to see three things. The first is that we need to listen. The work is listening to the voice of wisdom. Listening to the voice of wisdom. You see this in verse 1 and 2. That's what so much of this is about, is that there are people who are counseling. They're giving advice everywhere, right? There are people who are scoffing at, the, at God. There are the laws of God, which are sort of... Rules about life and how to live and how to flourish. Uh, all, there's meditation happening. This sort of rumination upon ideas and words and truths. And verse 1 and 2, right here at the very beginning of the psalm book, that's all designed to help us live as people in wisdom that walk with God through the ups and downs and through all things. And there's psalms addressing all of these. Right at the very beginning, he wants to say, there is there's a competition if you want to walk with God, if that's really what you want, one of the things you have to know is that there is a competition for your affections, your attention. It's not as simple as just saying, here I am, God. Cool, I'll follow. And then he speaks and you just do it. Instead, there are all these distractions and there's competition. There's basically, in this text, the voice of the world. There's the voice of the world on one side, the counsel of the wicked, uh, the, the, the way, the path of people who give themselves over to sinful patterns. There's people who just sit down and scoff. There's the voice of the world and there's the voice of God. And you know this. You know how this works without being extra religious about it. Right? There are voices constantly that tell you financially, uh, with your heart, in, in intimacy, or whatever it may be, that you need to protect yourself. You just need to you know, make sure, because people really take advantage of you. You need to do those things. And then there's the voice of God telling you that you've been given whatever you have to die to yourself for the sake of others. The voice of God, the voice of the world. The author George Bernanos wrote this, In order to be prepared to hope in what does not deceive, we must first lose hope in everything that deceives. We must first lose hope in everything that deceives. So which voices are you listening to? Some of them may be literal. It may be people, it may be a radio figure, it may be the news, it may be the newspaper, 
It may be a colleague. It may be a boss. What are the loudest voices? What are the ones that you esteem the most? What are the ones that you like what they say? Why do you like what other people don't say? And in all of this milieu, this loudness, this noise, is the ultimate voice in your life. The voice that even when you don't understand it, the voice when sometimes you dislike it, the one that you still allow to trump all the other voices, is that voice, the voice of Jesus speaking to you through the Bible. How much time do you spend listening to his voice? How much do you try to read the Bible or to hear the Bible as you're doing this morning? Or to think your thoughts through in every aspect of your life and say, you know, I just do this, but I've never actually thought how does Jesus or God apply to my business practice or my relationship or the way that I garden or any of these things, you know? See, Jesus always comes to us robed in the scriptures. If you want to know him, God, and you want to know Jesus, then you get to know him through his voice speaking in the Bible. And the point here is not that there's no truth to be found in the world or in those who don't acknowledge God's existence. Rather, it's that Christians are to delight in Scripture as the fundamental witness that enables us to ourselves in our world. I mean, everyone has an anthology of stories and texts and experiences and voices that we rely on to chart a course through life, don't we? We have our things. Some of us have a, a script. We all have a script. Some of us, it's our parents' expectations. It could be the sort of American materialism and comfort. It could be the voice of sexual liberation or the script of political utopianism. Psalm 1 says that if we want to truly be wise, then we must make God's word the architecture, the blueprint of our thoughts, the lens through which we experience the world, the script that directs our lives. And it's hard to listen to the voice of wisdom when there are so many voices clamoring to speak to us. Yeah, think about it. Is it any wonder that we daydream about money when we're told every day that financial security is our greatest necessity? Is it any wonder that we fantasize about sex and romance when we're told every day that the greatest fulfillment you can have is a romantic relationship? Any wonder that we have stories in our mind of being praised and admired when we're told that one of the greatest achievements that a human being can have is to express him or herself and to be seen and known? It doesn't matter if it's reality TV or something more high art, okay? We all want to be praised. With all these voices clamoring for us, we need to be able to more and more hear this voice of God speaking to us, okay? And I want to look at what it means to do that. But first, let me, let me read you one other quote. This is from one of my favorite theologians, Tom Wright. He says, if you want to have virtue... If you want to be wise, that's another way of him saying it, but if you want to live out a life of wisdom, virtue. He says, it happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right but which doesn't come naturally. And then on the thousand and first time when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically, quote unquote, as we say. So we're talking about hearing voices, following voices. Uh, some of you I know are really into the piano, at least it's one family here and probably a lot of you. My daughter, I have a son who's really into the piano. I have another daughter who's into ballet and all these things. It's not just the voices you hear, it's the sort of habits that you create. It's the choice that you make every day. Do I do the scales? They don't come naturally. I keep screwing them up. Now it's easier. Now I don't even think about it. 
Now it just happens and I could be like emailing and having a conversation on the phone at the same time, right? Same thing with the ballet moves. So when, you're, when I'm talking about voices, we're talking about a, a, a voice that translates into following, a walking, a choice. Day after day after day, virtue and wisdom does not come naturally. These voices are against us. These other paths are appealing. And so we make the choices and it's hard, like doing scales. And it's not natural until the thousand and first time, it's a little more natural. It's a little more back of your hand. Okay? So how do we make that happen? How do we follow the voice? And I think one of the main things this points out is that in order to follow the voice, to know, to recognize the voice of wisdom, to follow it, we have to do the work of dwelling in the community of wisdom. Okay, so listening to the voice of wisdom and dwelling in the community of wisdom. This is simple. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Christianity is a team sport. Not even really a sport, but it's a team There are no virtuosos in virtue. There are no wonder kinds of wisdom. All of us have to learn it, and we have to learn it together. This is where I think the end here, verses 5 and 6, leaves this picture of two communities. The wicked who will not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the path, the way, the end of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will, will perish. There are two competing communities, not just two competing voices. Two that we might want to belong to. And I think it's important here to say that wicked doesn't just mean what, we, what Christians mean when we say sinner. Everyone's a sinner. Wicked, in this sense, means those who have made the thousand and million choices of a life apart from God and without God, such that they are now operating in life in a way totally outside of his will. And opposed to him. They're the people scoffing from their seat. In verse, the earlier verses there. It's because those voices and the habits and the choices we make are strong. And then they, they gain strength. And we find ourselves, uh, you know, find the wicked find themselves finally choosing against God. The day after day, default choice. And that's important to say. That's the only difference. Is it's the day after day, default choice of all of us. But if we give ourselves into it, then this is our end. The righteous are simply people who know we will make this default choice on our own. And so we need the work, not only our own work of listening to the voice, but we need the work of others around us. We need God's chorus around us, speaking his voice, singing out his praise, his glory, his law for our lives, his team. And so a simple question is, who are your people? You know? What is the community where you are primarily going in order to become the person you want to be? Even if you're kind of a loner, you have community, you have relationships. Where and who are the people you're primarily going to in order to become the person that you want to be? You may be exploring Christianity, and the question here is, have you given yourself to the body of Christ through faith and baptism? to this multi-generational, multi-ethnic, worldwide community as your most formative and authoritative relationships. These are the righteous. Righteous just means faithful, which just means full of faith, okay? The righteous are those who God has made faith, and we read in Ephesians before I started that this is a gift of God. And if you have given yourself to the church, have you really given? This is the choice day in and day out. Have you really given? Do you receive from when you're in need? Do you receive from the church? 
Do you submit to it whenever you don't want to sometimes? Are you invested in it? Do you make worship, gathered worship, a priority in your life? Do you fellowship after church even when you don't feel like it sometimes? Even just if it's learning one person's name before you have to go. Do you serve together? Do you find smaller groups to meet with? Or do you ever meet one-on-one with anybody? We can only listen to wisdom when all these other voices are out there competing. We can only listen to wisdom when we dwell in a community that is speaking the voice of wisdom into our lives. And I think, lastly, we'll be able to do this. We'll be able to choose the voice of wisdom. We'll be able to hear it more through the community of wisdom and choose that community if we remember, and this is the last thing, remember the fruit of wisdom. I'm going to listen to the voice of it, wisdom, dwell in the community of wisdom, but the, the work of faith is also to remember the fruit of wisdom. Go back to that first image I gave you of the tree, right? Fully grown. What drives you in your decisions that you make day after day, even the ones you don't make, the ones that you just do because it's habit, right? What drives you in those things is what you hope for. Earlier I said it's what you, what you think will make you happy, Yes. Another way to put it is what you find beautiful, what you think will be rewarding, what you think will fulfill you. And Psalm 1 puts up this stark end for both of those things, to let us know that it's really important, these habits, these voices, these daily choices, because they have two ends. There's the end of the path that is nothingness, and the end of the path that is fruitfulness. And this is verse 3 and 4 again. I'll just do 4 first. It says, The wicked aren't so. They have no fruit. They end up like chaff. That's the leftover from when you harvest the grain and the thing, just the leftover stuff that blows away. It's good for nothing. It disappears and it's gone. It blows out and you can't even see it anymore because it just disperses and nothing's left of it. But the person who asks God for wisdom day in and day out and, and tries to habituate wisdom into their lives is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf that does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. It's the kind of thing that God promised to Solomon when Solomon asked for wisdom. He's like, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you a lot of it. And I'm going to give you everything else too. I'm going to make you prosper. See, foolishness, that's the opposite of wisdom. Walking a, walking a life apart from God's voice. Ultimately, finally, it could lead to lots of prosperity for a time being, but ultimately it leads to nothingness, to chaff, to being outside of the community where God's voice is and where fruitfulness happens. And all of us know what this feels like on some level, whether we've experienced in our own lives from foolish choices we've made or whether we've been harmed by other people. We know what it's like to see this consumption happening. Like, the world's all I have. And so I'm going to take as much of this relationship or as much of this money or as much of this place or as much of this ambition or this opportunity, whatever, I'm going to consume and consume until nothing's left. Until we're consumed by our own desires to have the world without God until it's all eaten up and we're starving and we're dying and we have nothing. You've seen this kind of wreckage. You've seen this kind of famine in some aspect of your life or your heart, or some relationship, or of the world itself. But the alternative is this blessed, this happy, this delightful, and and the picture does have a heart enriched with pleasure, this kind of joy that comes to those who grow in in bounty and are fruitful. And these people are not just fruitful for themselves, it says they're able to nourish others. And basically, 
other people will come and hang out under your limbs for shade and feel at play around you and feel their imagination set free around you for rest, for beauty, for sustenance. This is the fruit of a life of wisdom. This is the fruit that God wants to do in your life to bring the sort of life sap of Jesus himself into you. And the promise here is that this is what will fulfill you. When you hear the other voices, this psalm is saying, the voice of God will lead you into the community of God and this wisdom of God and this wise community will work its way into your heart and life that you will grow strong and nourished and full of fruit for yourself and for others and that this is what gives sustenance. This is what fulfills. This is what brings joy. This is what we're actually hungry for. And if you want to see these paths go a little further than they do in this passage, the fruit of folly, if you want to see that, look at Jesus. Look at him on the cross and see what the fruit of a life apart from God put upon him as he came to take our place. The fruit of folly is ultimately death and nothingness in the grave. But if you want to see the fruit of wisdom, then look at Jesus raised from the dead on the other side of the tomb, raised in splendor, who for the joy, it says, the joy set before him was able to pursue a life of wisdom even through death. Because he knew there would be resurrection glory and that there would be fruit not only for him, but for each one of us here and for the whole world. More than we would ever need to feast upon. This is what wisdom looks like. It looks like the life of Jesus that can go through death and resurrection. Because he's that committed to following God through all things. So in closing, a few more questions. What's driving you? Is it being beautiful, being young again? Is it intimacy of some sort? Is it power, accomplishment, the praise of others, money? Or is it walking in wisdom that we might have our foolishness put to death, pruned away, and thus bear the fruit of wisdom, this fruit that leads to a life of blessedness for us and for others? Growing up to be like Jesus Basically, this should be our wish, okay? God, give us wisdom that we might grow up to be like Jesus. That should be our one wish. And if we'll do that, we can see that Jesus is proof positive that God loves us and wants to make us fruitful, that a life of wisdom leads past death and pruning toward new life for us and for others, and then we might have more. And so, we'll be able to listen to his voice, dwell in the community of wisdom, and begin more and more to see the fruit of wisdom. So friends, let me encourage you this morning to do the work of faith. Which is to choose daily, moment by moment, to abide in Jesus. Like branches in the vine. To trust him to work his wisdom within you. This is the work of faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave us alone in this world. We thank you instead 
that you have chosen to create each one of us. You've chosen to sustain us this far in this world. You've chosen us to give us not, all, not only what we need for life, but also for salvation, for hope, for joy, for nourishment, for flourishing. And you long to make us prosper just as you told Solomon you long to prosper him. Help us to do as you told him to do, which is to just choose you, to walk in your ways, full of faith, to choose you day after day, that we might have wisdom, that we might taste the joy of bearing fruit before you and with you for our own joy and blessedness and also for the happiness of others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.